0: Thanks again for joining us uh, this morning. We're on to our second lesson of our series on the story of Jesus. Looking through the Gospel of Matthew step by step to trace the story of Jesus through his life, right from his birth, right until the end. And on this weekend, this is a a time where many people around our country, around the world, um, think about the story of Jesus and think in particular of his death and his resurrection. And uh, a lot of people... When they think about Jesus, maybe this is the only thing they know about Jesus. They hear the Easter story and maybe they know a few parables or or a few sayings of his. But what we're doing in this class is we're going a little bit more in depth and and looking at who Jesus really was and who his close follower, Matthew, described him to be. So last week, uh, if you weren't here and couldn't uh, listen to the lesson, last week we looked at the beginning of the story. And the first two chapters that uh, Matthew has are dedicated to Jesus' beginning. The story of where he came from, all of his ancestors, the story of his birth and the story of his childhood. And in particular we focused on the fact that Matthew presents Jesus not just as a, as a random child who happened to find stardom and success later in his life, not just as a, a, a person who became a popular religious leader over time, But he presents Jesus right from the get-go as the new king that's born, the new heir to the throne and a new threat to the current rulers and powers and those who have authority. We saw that when Jesus was still a baby that he was a threat to the king at the time and uh, in the place where Jesus was born, to a man by the name of Herod the Great, We're introduced to the main theme of Matthew, and that theme is a clash of kingdoms, the kingdoms of the world versus the kingdom of heaven. And as we continue on with our story today, we're going to see that that theme is again uh, going to be brought to our attention. It's Jesus with a new opponent, with a new clash, a new fight, and it's a clash of the kingdoms of the world versus the kingdom of heaven. If you've been following along through our devotional books, we've handed out uh, a, a number. We've actually finished our first printing of those and, and uh, we handed out all of the the ones that we had done up. So we're doing a second printing now um, of our devotional books. So the past week you would have covered the first two chapters of Matthew and those, those stories that we looked at last week. And this week we're covering chapters 3 and 4. So these are really the transition chapters. In chapters 1 and 2 we have the childhood of Jesus and then from chapter 5 through to the end of the book, chapter 28 we have the ministry of Jesus. When we talk about the ministry of Jesus we're just talking about his his full-time work as a preacher and as a healer and, and doing his main job as the Messiah. And this brief section that we're going to look at today, chapter 3 and 4 is the transition. The only details we have between when Jesus was born and when Jesus began to preach at about 30 years old and it's these few stories that we'll be looking at now so basically chapters 3 and 4 ends up being a a transition and in these chapters there are essentially two main events that happen and uh, those are the two that we'll be looking at today in chapters 3 and 4 we have the, this transition the start of his ministry and the first event is that John the baptizer Arrives and he prepares the way for jesus if you joined us for our wednesday night class we did look at the um, identity of john the baptizer and a little bit of his background Um, but we're going to spend most of our class today looking at jesus facing his tests in the wilderness so to give us an introduction to these tests i want to read the account of john the baptizer as Jesus comes to him to be baptized. So if you have your Bible in Matthew chapter 3 we're going to read verses 13 through 17. Matthew 3, 13 to 17. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so for now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness or this is the right thing to do this is to fulfill the right thing to do then he consented verse 16 and when Jesus was baptized immediately he went up from the water And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So you notice there how that account ends. It ends with a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, the next story, the story of Jesus facing his, te- his test in the wilderness is going to continue straight on from that statement there. So if you look in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17, it says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And then the next thing we have is the temptations of Jesus. In Matthew 4 and verse 3, it says, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God. So Matthew is linking this story with the previous story that's just happened a voice from heaven has declared that jesus is the son of god and now the tempter is going to come and test this claim to see whether jesus really is the son of god and then all throughout the gospel of matthew there are going to be people who are testing is this really the son of god if you look in matthew 27 in verse 40 when jesus is hanging on the cross um, the crowds that are passing by The soldiers that are mocking him, they say these um, mocking words. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So constantly Jesus is having to um, answer this question. Are you really the Son of God? And what does that mean? So Jesus is going to face these temptations in uh, the wilderness and he is going to i think this is a fairly familiar story too um if you've grown up in the church or if you've um, read through one of the gospels before you're probably familiar with the temptations of jesus it it is a, a fairly significant part of jesus life so he's going to have three tests that come upon him to determine his true character to determine whether he has the character befitting of the son of god or whether he is going to fail and show that he is not indeed um, the son of the almighty God. These three tests he is going to answer by quoting from a scripture in the Old Testament. Now I used to think when I was reading through this that he was just quoting from random scriptures all around the place, that maybe he was quoting a little bit from Isaiah and then a psalm and then from the law, but... In fact, he's quoting from a very small piece of the Old Testament. All of these quotes that he uses are coming from a very specific passage. So we need to understand that passage that Jesus is quoting before we understand uh, why he's using that in this uh, particular time of testing so these three verses are from a small section in the book of deuteronomy now the book of deuteronomy is set after the israelites have come out of egypt They have spent 40 years in the wilderness, and then Moses is giving them some final instructions. And so Jesus is going to quote from Deuteronomy 6 to Deuteronomy 8. And this is a really well-known passage for the Jews. If you're a, a practicing Jew today, you probably still begin and end your day, and maybe even in the middle of your day, you say a prayer that comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's called the Shema. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This is the Shema that the Jews for 3,000 years have been saying uh, when they wake up and when they go to bed. So this section that Jesus is going to quote from is coming from that same part. It's, It's from a very important and meaningful part of this Old Testament book. You notice that um, Moses is dealing with the people after they have come out of Egypt and spent 40 years in the wilderness. And Matthew makes it clear that Jesus has just come out of Egypt and spent 40 days in the wilderness. And the Jews, uh, sorry, the Israelites um, back in Deuteronomy, if you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8, Deuteronomy chapter 8, You see why they were in the wilderness for these years and what the purpose was behind their stay there. In Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2, it says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So the Israelites came out of Egypt, spent 40 years in the wilderness. And then uh, that was a testing to see their true character of their heart. And likewise, Jesus coming out of Egypt, spending a period of 40 days in the wilderness. And now he will go through a testing of his heart and his character. And what were some of the things that they were meant to have learned while they were in the wilderness and being uh, tested? Well, in verse 3 of Deuteronomy chapter 8, it says, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. The Israelites were hungry, and one of the tests that they had to endure was deciding whether they would trust in God for their sustenance, or whether they would trust in themselves and try to attain their food by their own means. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy 6 and verse Um, 16 it says you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massah." this was another thing that the Israelites were meant to have learnt during their um, journey that they were not to put God to the test that God was not a a genie in the bottle that you could test and and provoke and and get your own way with but he was to be respected and honoured Another thing they learnt from uh, this time in the wilderness comes in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 13. It says, It is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. They needed to learn during this time that they shouldn't bow down to anything else. They shouldn't bow down to their own pleasures or desires or anything else that came up in their life. but bow down and worship God alone. And if you've heard the temptation stories before, of course these scriptures will be familiar to you because these three scriptures, Deuteronomy 6.13, 6.16 and chapter 8 and verse 3 are the scriptures that Jesus quotes during his time of trial and testing. So Jesus is doing something very clever here. He's saying, I know what the test is. I've studied the test in the past and I know the ways that the... the, um, Israelites, the children of God in the, in the past, I know how they failed that test. So Jesus, the true son of God, is going to go through a similar testing, but he will prevail and show that he really does deserve the title son of God. So let's go to Matthew uh, chapter 4 and read through the testing of Jesus. Hopefully that gives you some context there, that um, both the baptism of Jesus, where he's called the Son of God, and then Deuteronomy 6 through 8, the background to the Israelite testing, gives us some understanding of where these temptations of Jesus kind of fit in. So test number one goes like this. Let's read Matthew 4 verses 1 through 4. And you might ask a pretty basic question, which is, what's so wrong with doing this? What's so wrong with getting food for yourself? Jesus had the power to do so. Jesus had the ability and the opportunity, and he was certainly in need of food. What was so tempting about this? What, what was so wrong with bowing into this temptation? And the answer is looking back at Deuteronomy and how the... Israelites were faced with this same test where are you going to look to for your sustenance are you going to look to God or are you going to try and depend and trust in your own power and strength so Jesus was going to have this test where do you look and you can see throughout his life that he trusted in God to provide what he needed this isn't to say that um, it's wrong to work or it's wrong to get food or, you know, you can't go grocery shopping, you just should expect that God will miraculously send some angels to zap your fridge full of food. What he's saying here is, what do you trust in? It's okay to have a job. In fact, it's necessary to, to have some some means where you can um, provide for those who you love. The Bible is very clear that a good work ethic and, and making sure that you are Putting in effort into providing for your family is a good and necessary thing. But do you trust in your own abilities? Or do you understand that the only reason why we have food this day is because God has graciously given us this? The temptation was about getting the right outcome through a wrong method. Getting fed, which is a good thing, but doing it through a wrong method. Right result, wrong method was the temptation that Jesus faced. And Jesus is showing the tempter. And he's showing all of us. There's a new way of doing this. We don't have to trust in ourselves and in our strength anymore. We can put our trust in God. Test number two goes like this. In verses five through seven it says, then the then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him if you are the son of god throw yourself down for it is written he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone jesus said to him again it is written you shall not put the lord your god to the test um the tempter is doing something very very clever here jesus has just shown in the previous test that he trusts in god And so the tempter says, he quotes from Psalm 91, a psalm that's all about trusting in God, and says, well, if you really do trust in God, then show it. Show it by jumping off a tall building and making sure that God will rescue you. And he's twisting scripture in such a way that might sound convincing at the um, get-go. But in reality, this is not the intent of Psalm 91 at all. Psalm 91 isn't about bending God to make him conform and and do your will psalm 91 is not about making god into a genie in a bottle where he grants you whatever wishes your heart and soul desires this psalm is about trusting in god not putting god to a test and and using him as your personal slave. if jesus was to jump off and god was to rescue him Then is Jesus serving the Father or is the Father serving the Son? See, Jesus came to serve and to do the Father's will. If He was to engage in this, this would be a blatant way of of getting the Father to serve Him. Again, it's, it's not a bad result that God would save us. It's not a bad result that God would protect us and come to our aid. It's not a bad thing that we would trust God so much that we would put our lives in His hand. It is a, a bad thing, though, when we go about that in the wrong method. We go about that using the wrong way. Again, Jesus is showing us there's a, a good way of trusting in God and putting your life in his hands that isn't about putting God to the test. And so test number three, the final and significant test, is in verses 8 through 10. It says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, Showed him all the kingdoms of this world. Now notice that phrase. This is the big theme that Matthew keeps coming back to. And this is the the ultimate test, the ultimate temptation that Jesus is going to go through. The tempter shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written... You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Now, Jesus came to be king. He came to rule. And showing a future king the kingdoms of the world and all their glory must have been tempting. I think we can relate to this temptation, not that we've ever been transported miraculously to a high mountain and shown all the kingdoms of the world, been offered to have them and all authority over them, um, but we have felt similar things in our lives. If you just bow down to your greed, if you just bow down to yourself, if you just bow down and worship your ego and your pride, if you just bow down and worship your happiness, then you'll get what you want. For Jesus... Matthew says at the end of this gospel that all authority eventually would belong to him. It was the right outcome, but it was the wrong method. Jesus would end up being king of kings and lord of lords. But it wasn't through bowing down and compromise. It was through standing tall. It was through boldly going through hardship and self-sacrifice, giving his life, as a ransom for many. And then all authority was given to him. I think we can take application from these temptations. Um, Sometimes our temptations are very subtle, are very um, hard to see. Sometimes these are offering the right solution, but just through the wrong methods, through doing it the easy way, through doing it the morally compromised way. Through doing it the way that no one else will see and um, we won't have to tell anyone about it and we'll get the right result. But it's not the right way. And Jesus has come to show us that through his tests he chose to do it the right way. He chose to do it a new way. Not trusting in himself anymore. Not treating God like a genie. And not bowing down to the kingdoms of the world. Not bowing down to get what he wants. The main point of this section is that Jesus went through a test of his character and through that test he showed who he really was he showed a new way of living with each and every test Jesus showed you don't have to do things the old way anymore you don't have to make the same mistakes you can live in a new and different way if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus if you're going to follow Jesus It means you're going to become a student. It means it's going to be an education. The word disciple in Greek is mathetes. It's where we get our word mathematics from. And if you didn't enjoy mathematics, you you might not enjoy Christianity because both of them require hard work and study. And I'm not just saying they require study at the beginning of your Christian walk and then you get into a habit and everything is easy from then on. I'm saying every single morning you wake up and you sit at Jesus' feet And you learn his new way of doing things. And this is the new way that Jesus was always going to bring. The prophet said that there's going to be a new way coming. Ezekiel says that God is going to give us a new heart and a new spirit in Ezekiel 36 and verse 26. Isaiah says, don't think about the old things. Don't pay attention to the olden days. He says, Behold, I am doing something new in Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19. Jeremiah talks about that new and better covenant that we would be under. And that's what Jesus is about. It's, it's about not living the same life, but having a few extra rules in it. It's not you do the same things that you were doing, but now you go to church on Sundays. No, it's about you kill that old person. You kill that old man. And you become a new person. When Nicodemus, the leader of the, the Pharisees, came to Jesus and, uh, and he was asking about the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, no one can see the kingdom of heaven unless he is born again. John 3 and verse 3. You've got to start again to see things the kingdom of heaven way in second corinthians five seventeen, if anyone is in christ he is a new creation the old has gone it's passed away behold the new has come romans 6 and verse 4 talks about how jesus died and he was raised again and just as jesus was raised into a new way of life you also walk in a new way of life not a slightly different way of life not a a, a few small changes around the outside not Um, smoothing out the edges of your life but completely new, completely different way of engaging in your life Ephesians 4.23 says be renewed in the spirit of your mind have a new way of thinking this isn't just about changing your actions it's about changing your very character and behaviour and thoughts Christianity is just a a non-invasive form of brain surgery you are consistently changing the way that you think To think the way that the kingdom of heaven works, not the ways of the kingdoms of this world. And that's what Romans 12 and verse 2 says. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by a new mind. Having a, a brand new way of thinking. And that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And Matthew chapter 4 finishes with Jesus calling his first disciples. And he says to them, follow me. And they leave their old world behind, the world of catching fish. And they embrace the new way that Jesus offers. And he says to you and me, he invites us into a new way of living. He says, come and follow me. And you get to choose that this morning. You get to choose. Am I going to continue living the kingdom of the world way? Or am I going to choose to live the new kingdom of heaven way? Next week, we're going to study through the Sermon on the Mount, a sermon that's all about how different the kingdom of heaven is to the way of the world. I hope you can join us for that lesson. If you want to put away the the kingdom of the world and you want to um, do things in the kingdom of heaven way, if you want to make Jesus the king of your life, we'd appreciate if you could get in touch with us and we can help um, to make that happen.